Amen. Hare mighty word we top Holy Spirit, come, come, come. So, people of God here in this place, tune your ear to what the Spirit of God is going to say. Sometimes you'll turn away thinking, oh, that's too weird. But God wants to speak you weirdly (laughs) this morning. Thanks very much. Wow. Fantastic, Viv. You've got to keep looking after me. <laughs> so if you're not doing your job caregiving for me properly, I'll let you know, okay? Well, it's fantastic. What time would we finish, Greg? <laughs> what Tuesday did someone say? Tuesday. I like this church. That's awesome. That's awesome. Bring your sleeping bags, everybody. Fantastic. Um. <clears throat> It's a great joy to be with you. I can't. I think it was maybe 18 months ago, something like that, that I was uh, here at the Rock, and uh, and I've been in a group of pastors uh, that from all over the nation, a small group of pastors, about eight or ten of us that have met together four or five times a year. And Greg's been in that group. That's how I got to know Greg. Although we discovered that uh, talking yesterday that we actually did meet each other at Bali at a mission summit. Uh, back in 2008, but it was not long after that that we joined this group and we got to know um, Greg and Danny. And you know, I I love this couple's heart. You know, I love their heart. I love their authenticity. I love their down-to-earthness. I love their non-pretentious attitude. And um, and I really believe that. Uh, that the Lord has sent me today here with a prophetic word, because the word I'm going to share with you this morning is a word I've never preached before. Uh, at the beginning of the week, as I was looking ahead to being with you here uh, this morning, um, I, I, uh, you know, what what pastors often do is that they 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 look back on the last six months and they say, which was the most anointed message that I preached? And it's like, was it that one or that one? I think I'll get that one. Uh, instead of asking, Lord, what do you want to say? You know, somebody said to me years ago, never get up to the pulpit to preach because you have to say something. Get up to the pulpit to preach because you've got something to say. And there's a big difference between the two. And so I hate getting up here in front of you guys uh, and wasting your time if I don't have something to say from the Lord this morning. And, uh, and so the Lord said, no, I've got a prophetic word for the church. And I said, well, can you tell me what it is, please? Because Debbie wants to know the title of my message. <laughs> and so I stalled as long as I possibly could. And then on Thursday, God gave me a download, which I'm going to share with you today. And uh, this, is, this is a word that it may challenge some of you. Some of you will be going, yes and amen. Uh, others of you will be going, I'm not quite sure about that because it may get to the heart uh, of perhaps some issues that you may have been struggling with or wrestling with as a Christian. So I, I you know, Viv's welcomed the Holy Spirit and Marty this morning. Didn't you love that? Wasn't that? I kind of get these goosebumpy things that happen when 
when she does that, uh, welcoming God in her own language. And, um, and so God's already done that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get into it. You know, we, we, Viv and I have been through a massive change in our lives. This is our 25th year of full-time ministry. 25 years. I know I don't look that old. I know, you know, despite Viv dyeing my hair every month and, and making, <laughs> making me look old, I'm actually younger than her by four years. Would you believe that? <laughs> I tell you the truth. And, uh, and so, so when you've been in ministry for that long, because I want to tell you, I have so many friends who no longer are pastoring, some who are no longer walking with Jesus. The longer you stay around, unfortunately, the more casualties you see on the side of the road. And so as a result of being around a long time, I've picked up a lot of the, the swings and roundabouts of contemporary 21st church. All right? And I've seen a lot of changes happen in the church of Jesus over that period of time. I came out of a very dysfunctional background myself. I shared part of my story and I won't go into that today. But God took me in a very short period of time of three and a half years and, and thrust me as a new Christian, three and a half years old, straight into the ministry. And we passed our first church. I was only 23, 24 years old. And... Uh, and so we, 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 we learnt by applying the Word of God. And, uh, you know, there's two great questions you can ask when you're in covenant relationship and community, when, when you're in a discipleship mentoring relationship. The first question is, is, is what is God saying to you right now? What is God saying to you right now? What is, you know, if, if you have a connection with God, if you have a relationship with God, it's not a one-way talk where you have a prayer time that exists for 15 minutes every morning where you're the only one doing the talking. So what is he saying to you right now? And the second question is this. And when you ask this and amongst a group of believers who are on a common journey together and you ask the second question, which is, what are you doing about what he's saying to you? Obedience. Because obedience has definitely been the major lesson of my life as a Christian, that as I have learnt the hard way of the hard road of disobedience to God, that it's much easier and much better for you if you, the, the sooner you obey, the better, basically. And the fruit of obedience will blow you and many of the people that you associate with out of the water, because all God is asking of us is our cooperation to walk with him, to work with him, and to see the Spirit of God move through your life, which he cannot do if you are disobedient. It is an impossibility for God to work with you. God, Jonah learned that lesson. He ran from God. He ran from God. God couldn't work with him, but he continually repositioned him until Jonah was ready to obey. And so over my period, over this period of ministry, we, we've been through a lot. We've seen a lot of things. And as a result, what I'm going to share with you this morning is really, I guess it's a prophetic summary right now of where I see a lot of shifts taking place prophetically in the body of Christ. And, uh, and I, I want to share them graciously with you, but I also want to share them firmly with you. I don't want to pussyfoot around. I don't want to paint all these things up so they look nice and shiny and bright for you. 
I just want to give you the truth of what I sense God saying. You see, we're living this journey of obedience once again in the Lord. I've, I've pastored small churches and I've pastored mega churches. I know what it's like to struggle with a church of 30 people and I know what it's like to, to, to lead a, a mega church and to be involved in, in two other mega churches as well. And so I've seen how small church operates and I've seen how large church operates. And at the end of last year, God began to speak to me very, very strongly. And I said to Viv, I said, I think God's wanting to extract us out of this mega church. You know, most people run to a mega church. We, and God had got me in a position where with all the shifts that I could sense in my spirit, God was saying, I want you to trust me on a journey. And the long and short of it is simply this, is that I had a decision to make along with my wife on whether we would continue where we were. We were being paid handsome salaries. We were both full-time pastors on staff. And God seemed to be saying to us, I want you to give it all away. And I said, and do what, Lord? And he just said, trust me. I've got something else I want you to do. And I don't know if you know, when you've got a large mortgage and you've got a family to take care of, that seems absolutely ridiculous thing to do. And so... We, we, we tended our resignation and it was met with a lot of resistance and there were counter offers of all sorts of roles and positions. Um, global itinerant minister was one of the roles that I was offered. And, uh, and, and we, so we took it to over the weekend and we said, look, we'll give you our final decision on, on the Monday. Viv and I came together for prayer on the Saturday morning and I said, you go your way, I'll go my way. Let's compare notes when we come back, what the Lord's saying. We both came back and we had an absolute red light. Do not pursue. Do not follow. Do not chase after this other offer. I want you to literally step off the plank uh, and, and to, we didn't know what. And, uh, and so I said to the Lord, Lord, I said, we have followed you faithfully for years. We have done this many times, stepping off the plank. And, uh, but I kind of, you know, this time, this, this is raw resources. There is nothing here in front of us right now that could support us. After all, most of my adult life, I've served you in the ministry, Lord. I don't really know how to do anything else except serve God in full-time Christian ministry. And, uh, and so I, I said, we, Viv and I, we got together, we prayed, and I said, Lord, I would like you to give me something a little bit more concrete than just a red light to say, don't go down that track. I would like you to speak to us clearly so that we know that we know that walking off this plank, that you're behind this. And can anyone relate to me this morning where God has led you into, you know, into a very precarious place? You wouldn't believe it, guys. God answered that prayer in less than four hours. Viv and I decided to go to another part of Auckland that afternoon where we thought nobody would know us. And just relax because this was such a momentous decision in our lives. And, uh, and so we were over there. We'd finished what we were doing. We were on our way to the car in this big shopping mall in Auckland. We walked out of the shopping mall and a guy came up to me out of nowhere, tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir. He said, are you both Christians? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, I've got a message from God and I need to deliver it to you right now. And he said, God is calling you to take the largest steps of faith that you've ever taken in your life. 
And then he began to demonstrate the word of the Lord. He said, you've been, walk, you've been walking in uh, systematic steps of faith with me, but now God is asking you to walk like this. <laughs> and he said, when human beings walk like this, they're not stable because they're not designed to take such large steps. But he said, with you, you're going to walk like this. You're going to be sure, you're going to be steady, you're going to be stable because God is calling you into this life of faith and all you need to do is trust Him. And the Spirit of God came upon us on the street and joy bubbled up and we began to, we began to feel the presence and the anointing and we began to weep right there on the street. And I said to this guy, who are you? Where did you come from? What planet are you from? Because this is not a normal occurrence in, in your everyday w- w- working and, w- and living life. And uh, this guy just, he simply said to us, I'm simply a servant of God to bring God's servants his message. And then he walked off. And I thought, you look very human, but my Bible tells me that we've entertained angels unawares. And I'm, I'm thinking twice about this guy turning up after praying a desperate prayer only a few hours early. So cut a long story short, we left where we were and we've been in a brand new situation for the last five months where literally what I'm about to preach with you, we've been living out in the flesh and we're seeing God do astounding things. Meeting in a large home in West Auckland where we've gone from a handful of people where now we've got relayed speakers all the way through the house so that everybody who's present can actually hear and see what God's doing through another part of the house because all the rooms are full of people as they've been pouring into this house. We've now got 70 people meeting in a home. Uh, and we've seen God do it. Last week we had one guy who's been on drugs every day for 14 years, fully tatted up. He's been high every day for 14 years. Can you imagine the kind of bondage that brings in a person's life? He's had $12,000 worth of traffic fines because he's never bothered to get a license and he keeps getting pulled up and he keeps getting fined. And uh, and he came to the Lord and then his partner came to the Lord and now his friends come to the Lord and now her mother is coming to the Lord. And uh, and last week he had his first drug-free week for 14 years, 14 years. And so he's, he decided to go and get his uh, license. And last week he got his license as well. No more traffic fines for him, which his, his uh, missus is really, really happy about. So, so that's just a little bit of, uh, a little bit of things. So this is how I see it, friends. <clears throat> right now I believe that, uh, you know, just as all around the globe, we've seen the tectonic plates under the crust of the earth. They've been like this, and there's been minor shakes, and there's been massive shakes. And you know all know what happens when the tectonic plates under the earth come together, that they press against each other, and when they slip, the whole world feels it, it's particularly when there's a massive uh, a shift, you know, when you get a six to seven to eight magnitude type of an earthquake, and everybody feels what's happening underneath the surface when those tectonic plates begin to shift. And the Lord was explaining to me on Thursday, he said, right now in the church of Jesus, spiritually, there are tectonic plates that are coming together. And if I could have my first scripture up on screen, this is the reason why they're coming together. Jesus said this, do not put wine, new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break 
The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. In other words, God is wanting to do something new on planet Earth. But he can't use crusty, old, starchy, stuffy wineskins because the reason why that was the medium for carrying precious cargo, precious liquid on board was because wineskins... Uh, the skin of an animal had the ability to stretch with the fermenting process of the wine. So you could put new wine into a new skin and it wouldn't split because the skin would actually stretch with the fermentation process. But a skin gets to a certain point where it has no more stretch in it. It's stuck. It's rigid. It's set in its ways. Hello? It's set in its ways. And so if you put something brand new, bubbly, full of the life of God into that old skin, it's going to split the skin in the process of stretching. The container can't contain what God wants to do. And the precious move of God is wasted. And so Jesus is saying, it's a new day. It's a new hour on planet Earth. I've got new plans for my people, but I'm not going to use your stiff, starchy, old systems and processes because they're not going to be able to contain what I want to do. Therefore, I am requiring change. Hello. And the problem with change, friends, is that most of us have an element inside of us that love to resist change. There's, I, you know, pastors, we love, we love the embraces. As soon as we say, this is what we're doing, church, and we're heading down, we've worked through the leadership and we've talked it through with the church and everything else, you get your, you get your embraces, your igniters, and they're right there. Change, change, I love change. Give me more change. I just eat, breathe, and sleep. Change. But you've also got the resistors that no matter how good and how pleasant and how wonderful it is, there is an immediate reaction. Change? Don't tell me to change, brother. I met the Lord 35 years ago and He's given me everything I need to know. You can't teach me anything new and I, I'm set in my ways and I'm comfortable where I am, thank you. I've got my blankie and I've got my... Please don't take it away from me. And we get set in our ways. And God wants to move. You see, my Bible tells me the pattern for God in the earth today, which is a governing spiritual reality over all of our lives, is the Spirit of God takes us from glory to glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. God is ever wanting to change us and move us and take us from one degree of His precious glory to another degree. Now, there will be spaces and times in your life that God will give you the room in which to embrace the change that He's bringing so that you can work it out in your life. But friends, He never wants you to get static. He never wants you to become still in the sense of stopping the process of change in your life with Jesus because this is, I came off a farm. And I observed when we had dams on the farm that they had no outlet. So there was only, there was only water trickling into those places, but there was no refreshing of water flowing in and flowing out. The water would get stagnant. It would get smelly. And you know what happens when water gets stagnant and smelly? The nuisances of the insect world come and feed upon those waters. And all of a sudden you've got all the 
the mosquitoes and, and the dragonflies and they're all trying to feed on that smelly, stagnant thing. And that's what happens to us when we stop moving with Jesus, when we stop embracing change, we become stagnant, we become smelly and the nuisances of the demonic realm start to feed on our life and we start to get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. So there's a, there's a seismic shift that's taking place in the church and I don't know how God's going to do this today because when I, when I was downloading on Thursday, there were a number of things that, that he showed me that I can't even share with you today in the church because I don't think people are ready to hear. It's not the right time, but he has identified some of those things for me and I want to share those things with you now. So I hope that, um, I hope that you're ready. I hope that you're ready. Are you ready, church? Okay, how about, how about, because we're talking about seismic shifts, how about whenever I introduce a new shift this morning, let's all, <laughs> let's have a practice, okay? One, two, three. Oh, there's a seismic shift happening at the rock. Hallelujah. The reason why I think it's so important <clears throat> is that Hebrews 12 says this, verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. I love the lovey-dovey side of Jesus. I'm sure you will do. I'm sure you love the embrace, the warmth when you're struggling with things. A bruised reed he does not break, amen? When we're getting bruised, when we're feeling the pinch of the world, when we're suffering a little bit, he doesn't snap us and break us. He comes around and cares for us. But friends, there are times where he speaks. Don't refuse him when he speaks into your life. For if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Verse 26 of Hebrews 12. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more, listen to this, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. That's a big shaking. Not only is the earth shaking, but the heavens are shaking. The spirit realm is shaking. Now, uh, this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that have been shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us by grace have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So what's the purpose of these spiritual seismic rumblings that we're feeling right now? Let me tell you what the purpose is. So that everything that's not bolted down in your life, that's not supposed to be there, can be shaken loose. That God can get rid of it so that you will be more like his son Jesus, you will be transformed into the image of his likeness, that you will reflect his glory in a world that is desperate and hungry and thirsty. You see, friends, God's marketing plan is not electronic billboards. God's marketing plan is not glossy brochures put into mailboxes in our neighborhoods. God's marketing plan is a transformed life. God's marketing plan is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Jesus breaking out of us, and sometimes the encasing that surrounds us has a little bit of work that God needs to do in us and through us. 
And so there's a rumbling, there's a shaking going on. God is moving, God is speaking. Do not refuse him. The Bible says, who is speaking right now, don't refuse him because he wants to shake loose some stuff within your life. And and the way I see it right now, this is how I'm seeing what God is doing in this church. There has been a period of tremors that have been going through the rock. And the purpose of those tremors is so that God can prepare this church to adopt the new wineskin in order to receive the new wine of what he's about to unleash on planet earth. And that new wine is going to cause this church to be something extra special in the community that God has planted you in. Because if you are obedient, you will eat the fruit of the land and you will see the transforming power, not only touching your lives, but touching the lives of everyone that you rub shoulders with. So let's get into this this morning. The first seismic shift. Here we go. Come on, come on, come on. That's it. The first seismic shift that I'm seeing in the spirit that's been going on for a little while is from church people being attenders to becoming disciples. Nowhere in scripture will you ever see Jesus saying, go out into all the world and make attenders. Hello? Why, why are we in this environment where the church world has gone mad on building bigger barns to fill them with bigger crowds to count everything that's on two legs and if there's dogs, cats and anyone else present in the service we'll count those legs and double them as well. Because friends, there, there, there is... I've just got to call it as it is because I've been in environments and I've experienced this for myself. There is an egocentric driven system that has replaced what God intended in the earth. It's called the kingdom, the kingdom of God, not a church system called church growth where we count numbers and bums on seats and how much money you're getting in the offering every week and the reason why I can tell you, every any pastor that's been pastoring for a little while will tell you that the first question they ever get asked when they go to a pastor's conference and they meet a new pastor is how many people come to your church? Oh yeah, is that, is that, is that adults or is that adults and kids? And there's this, there's this like attachment to our identity and self-worth as church leaders simply based on how many people we have turning up to a church service on the weekend and it's become a system and a form of idolatry that God will not stand for over a period of time. And God never called us just to attend a service. We come in here, this is, this is, this is the, this is the half time. This is the coaching room where we come in and, and we, we, we're coming in in the, in the middle of our week and we're coming in on Sundays and God is equipping us and He's preparing us to take us out and be the disciples, the followers of Jesus that He's called us to be. The word disciple literally, the Greek word methetes literally means this, a learner. The Greek word for disciple literally means a learner. Wow. Have you stopped learning? Have you stopped pressing into God? Have you stopped bringing on new stuff 
into your life because you think you've, you've arrived and you know it all. You see, the attitude of a disciple is that, you know, here I am in my 25th year of full-time ministry and I love to keep my L plate on. Wherever I go, I've got an L plate on. I'll meet people from all different areas of society, from all different types of churches, and I will do as much interviewing and learning as I possibly can because I don't want to be a know-it-all. I realize that the sum total of all that I know is about that big compared to what there is to learn out there. And a disciple is someone who's hungry and thirsty. A disciple is someone who loves and wants to be loved. A disciple is someone that is absolutely ready for anything that God wants to put on their plate. They're saying, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I come on the altar and I'm ready and I surrender to you this morning. And so we, we've got it wrong when we're measuring churches by how many people turn up. Do you think that's how Jesus measures a church? How many people were at the rock this morning, Greg? You're slipping up, boy. You're slipping up. There's two less than last week. Give me your hand. How do we measure? If the core business of the church is to go and make disciples, which it is, how do we measure that? Well, how much love is happening in this place? Giving away money to the community? Are you crazy? This church is crazy. Giving 10 grand away to the needs of the community. But that's what a church that's filled with disciples, that's exactly what Jesus would do if he was leading this church. Because the church, churches have got a bad name for taking, taking, taking from the community and never giving back to the community. I think that's exactly what Jesus would do if he was the leader of this church. What an awesome thing to be known as a church that meets financial needs in the community. How many of the one another's in the Bible are being fulfilled at the rock? How many people are experiencing Christ and all of his reality here at the rock? You see, I want to, uh, this morning I want to share with you a principle of discipleship. And my story was, was that uh, a guy who'd done two tours on the ground in Vietnam was my personal mentor and discipler in the first 12 months of me being a Christian. He came to me one day. He'd seen me in church a couple of times. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him. He was the scariest looking guy. He was six foot two tall and six foot two wide. And he had jailbird tats. You could tell this guy had seen. You know, you looked into his eyes and you had to kind of look away real quick because he was such a scary guy to look at. But once you got to know him, he was the most amazing, love-filled person that I've still ever yet met. He's led thousands of people to Christ over his time as a Christian. And God said, take that young man, invite him to come and live with you because I want to teach him my ways. Not just my word, but I want to teach him my ways because our ways are not his ways. You know, as far as the heavens are above the earth, his ways are so far higher than our ways. And so he took me in. And he began to mentor me. Now, there's a process in discipleship, which is one of the reasons why our system that we have in 21st century is flawed. And it's a system called invitation. Come and follow me. But there's another part to discipleship. It's invitation and challenge. Come and follow me. Challenge. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Pinch, ouch, 
dealing to self, dealing to the stuff that we've just lived by most of our lives growing up if you haven't been a Christian. Come and deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So there's invitation and challenge. And you see, in the church system that we live in today, many people are not in covenant relationship with other believers. What do I mean by covenant relationship? That means that you've entered into an an agreement that you are going to want the very best for your brother and your sister in Christ and you're going to live that out in in a place where you can be connected in relationship with another believer. Anyone hearing what I'm saying here? In other words, there's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. And so what actually happens is is that God uses uh, sandpaper ministry, iron sharpens iron, to bring the challenge process of discipleship. And without the challenge, if your Christianity's only invitation, which is come, be blessed, come, experience the life, come, experience the love, but there's no challenge in your discipleship, then your growth will be stunted because guess what, friends? It's in the challenges that we actually grow. It's not just in everything being put on a plate for you and all the lovey-dovey stuff that is just, we all love, we all love to be loved, but it's in the challenges that Jesus brings to us and I remember the, as I was learning this process, I didn't know what it was called and I'm just calling it invitation and challenge today because that's how I understand it to be. I remember I was, I, I had been in the Lord for about 12 months. I now shifted away from my employer that I was employed with at the time. And as I moved away and I moved five hours south of that city, I was praying one day and I felt the challenge come to me in my prayer time. And the Holy Spirit said to me, James, you stole you stole off your former employer. I want you to make a trip, five-hour journey by car. I want you to make a trip and I want you to confess that you were a thief and I want you to confess what you stole from him and I want you to re- repay him what you took from him. Gee, I just love the, I, I love the inv- invitation, more invitation, please, Lord, less challenge. And so I had to wrestle in myself about this challenge and I realized this was a growth point. And I tried to put it off, to put it off, but it's like a lead weight in your spirit when you know God is asking you to do something and you're not doing it, it will just sit there, it will not go away. And so I organized the trip and I went to see him and I thought, well, it's all going to be sweet. Nothing will happen, everything, because you've asked me to do this. So I went and made an appointment with him. And then I owned up, I owned up, and I sat in his office And I said, I'm sorry, Laurie. I said, when I was working for you, I'm ashamed to tell you this, but you know that I've become a Christian and I want to come clean and I stole these things from you when I was an employer working here. And he looked at me and he stared at me. He stared at me with absolute penetrating gaze for five minutes. He didn't say anything. It was the most uncomfortable silence I have ever experienced. And then the first thing he said was, I'm weighing up whether I'm going to prosecute you. That didn't even come into my thinking. I thought, God, you told me to go and do this and now I'm going to end up in jail? Come on. And I sat there and I suddenly realized that I've just told this guy that I've been a thief, that I've stolen stuff out of his business and what do I expect him to say to me? Come on. And so he, he made me wait for another few minutes of silence and I was squirming in my chair. Invitation. Come follow Jesus. Challenge. 
Do you remember when, do you remember when uh, Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house? He was a rot, dirty, rotten, filthy traitor. He betrayed the Jewish people. He'd stolen, he'd ripped them off from uh, taxes, making them pay extra than what they had to pay. He was a very wealthy man, but he'd gotten all of his money through ill gain. Now, when he had a conversion experience and Jesus came to his house, he said, I will repay fourfold what I have taken from people. Because he experienced the invitation to follow Jesus, but then immediately he had the challenge as he realized that his wealth was ill-gained. And so finally this guy, this, this, my former employee, he finally released the, the tension in the room and he said, Jim, I'll tell you what. He said, it's a good thing that you've done today and I'm not going to prosecute you. I'm not going to report this to the police and I'm going to receive your money because I told him I'd pay him back what I'd stolen from him. I'm going to receive your money and I'll take your money and I just want to let you know you've done a courageous thing today. Thanks very much for coming to see me. And that was the end of that situation. And I had, my life literally was littered for the first two to three years of being a Christian with challenge after challenge after challenge to respond to a God that wanted to make me like a straight arrow that would be released out of the bow that would fly true and straight, that it wouldn't deviate because I'd allowed the character-forming work of Christ to come into me. And that's one of the reasons why I believe God accelerated me into a position of ministry so quickly was because I'd learned, my mentor had taught me how to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You know, Monty Roberts, if you Google Monty Roberts, Go on YouTube, Google Monty Roberts, and you'll find an exceptional series of, uh, of videos online. Monty Roberts is a horse whisperer. And Monty Roberts' father was a horse whisperer. And he watched as a kid his father breaking horses in. Except the way that he broke horses in was that he would break their spirit. So what he'd do is he'd, he'd get a wild Mustang, that's not a car, He'd get a wild Mustang and he would tie it up to a post and uh, and the horse had a halter on over its head and so it couldn't go anywhere. The post was fixed deep into the ground and then what he would do is that he would, uh, they, they use a tactic where they get a big blanket and they put it in front of the horse to scare the horse and the horse will jitter and try and pull away And this process is repeated over and over again until the horse actually has no more fight left in it and its spirit gets broken. Or another way that they do it is that they just pull the whip out and they literally whip the Mustang, they whip the horse until it's got no more fight left in it and they they break a horse in by breaking its spirit. And he watched his dad growing up torturing these horses in order to break them in so that they could be saddled and ridden uh, as a kid. And as he began to grow of age as a teenager, he said, I, he said, he, you know, he was following in his father's foot, footsteps to be a horse whisperer. And he said, he said, there's got to be a better way to see a horse submit than to beat the heck out of it. And so what he did was he went out and set out on a journey and he went out into the plains of North America and he observed, he sat and he journaled and he observed the behavior of a group of wild mustangs. And this is what he saw. When a young stallion wanted to join the group of horses, he watched the behavior of the lead mare. 
And this is what the lead mare would do. As the young stallion would approach the group of horses, the lead mare would step out in front. The lead mama, Mama Viv, would step out in front. And her ears would go down as this stallion tried to approach. Challenge. It was a challenge. And then he was amazed. He watched the behavior of the horse approaching and the the horse would bow down on one knee and begin to gently pour the ground into a posture of submission. Woman, don't try this at home with your husbands, please. It may not work with human endeavor. And then this process, then the the young stain would stand up and, and the mare... Her ears would pop up and then an extraordinary thing would happen. She would turn her side to face the young stallion and expose her flank and put herself in a position of extreme vulnerability. And so the the, stay, the wild stallion would then approach a further ten steps. Then she'd turn around, the ears would go down again. And the same process would happen. He'd pour the ground in a position of submission. And this process would happen until eventually they got so close that they call it, in, in, in training horses, they call it the join-up. The join-up, which is an incredible moment when the two, literally, they come nose to nose. And it's a, if you ever see it, you'll see it online. If you watch it, it's an exhilarating moment where the two touch. And there's this whole process where there, there is this, this horse can now join this group and they're part of the crowd. And it's happened, you see... This is exactly how Jesus, the great horse whisperer, (laughs) this is how he trains his disciples and causes moments of join up to happen within our life where he invites us into a relationship with him with all the benefits of that relationship. We receive love, we receive provision, Jehovah Jireh. You know, we, 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 we receive all of the good things that God has given to us. And then... And then Jesus challenges us. Let me give you an example in Scripture. We won't go there for the sake of time, but Matthew 16. Peter has a revelation of who Christ is. He has an invitation moment where Jesus has invited him into the inner circle and he gets this moment of revelation. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He sees Jesus for who he is. The penny drops, the revelation takes place. Then Jesus says, you are uh, Simon Peter, you, you have been given, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. What a moment he's received as he comes in the inner And then a few verses later, look it up in your Bible, a, only a few verses later comes an immediate challenge when Jesus begins to talk about suffering a horrible death and going to the cross. And Peter says, you're not going to go to the cross, Lord. We won't let that happen. And Jesus turns around in a moment of challenge to Peter and he says to him, I'm going to have nothing to do with you if you don't allow this moment to take place in my life. That's a paraphrase of that verse. And so we see invitation, a moment of deep revelation, then immediately Jesus is rebuking. Friends, I went through a period in my life as a new believer for about three years where I felt I was continually being challenged by the Spirit of God. And sometimes I just think, I don't know if I can change anymore. And and then I would just embrace the Lord. And, and I've allowed that pattern in my life to happen. And there's been times where things have got sticky with me. 
especially when we first got married. When we first got married, we had World War I in the first year. We had World War II in the second year. We had World War III in the third year and we were heading for nuclear fallout. Either she was going to wipe me off the planet or I was going to wipe her off the planet. I didn't know who was going to win. Probably that warrior spirit was going to win. And uh, until God got a hold of us and through multiple challenges caused us to submit to the Lordship of Jesus so that he could move us forward. And now we have a fantastic marriage. We have three grown adult sons and God is, we, we, we hate each other if we don't see each other for half a day. That's how deep the relationship is that God has done within our lives. Now I'm just going to quickly go through um, these other ones. I'm going to give you some headlines uh, because time is gone, but I really wanted to camp on that first part there. Understand this. Understand there's a shift. You cannot be a disciple and just be an attender of a church. It's impossible. You see, you can even, the way we structure church these days, Listen to me, please. You can get up here, somebody can bring a very challenging message and you think, I don't like that message, Pastor. And you can walk up and you can completely miss the moment of challenge within your life because you have no one else holding you accountable in covenant relationship. So you can just go and do whatever you want to do. But you're the loser. You've just lost out on a moment where God can bring change into your life and make you more like his son because you have been unwilling to enter into a covenant relationship with other believers where God can call you to grow in him and to grow up into the head of the church who is Christ Jesus. The second shift I'm seeing happen right before my very eyes. Okay. God is moving us from a come-to-church invitation to shifting the body of Christ to go into all the world. How do I know if I'm stuck in this paradigm? Because this happened to me, this is probably a few years back now, but I realized that when I was talking to people about Jesus, instead of sharing the gospel with them, I'd give them an invitation to come to church. How's that going to get them saved? How's that going to bring them into a relationship with God? Come to church. Friends, that is one of the biggest cop-outs that we've ever had. In the great apostolic verse of the New Testament, this is how Jesus operated. He said this in John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, That word sent is the same word for apostle or apostolic ministry. Apostolic ministry, friends, isn't about the bigwig who's got bishop in front of his name with a series of business cards. Apostolic ministry is having the spirit of Christ in your life in such a way you can't help but be sent. You can't help but go into the marketplace. You can't help but go into the university. You can't help but go into the community and bear witness to the light, the light of Jesus that's come into your life with a freedom, with a, with a lightness in your spirit where you're not afraid anymore to share this wonderful gospel of Christ. The word gospel means good news. You know, right now, if we were down in Johnsonville and McDonald's said, free happy meals for everybody, let me tell you, the place would be clogged. There would be queues and queues lining up to get their free happy meal. And yet we have the greatest free gift 
that the world has ever seen called the gospel, the gift of eternal life. Why aren't there queues of people lining up to come to our services? Because friends, we're saying come to church instead of come to Jesus. We're afraid to share this gospel message. And the apostolic spirit that's coming on the end time church is going to radically change anyone who wants to be a true follower of Jesus where however and wherever God places you, you are going to be able to find yourself being a sent one, sent into that office, sent into that petrol station, sent into that supermarket, sent into your community with the wonderful love of Jesus Christ in your life. Third shift. Seismic shift. There's a rumbling happening. This is one I picked up many years ago from missions to mission. Cut the S off missions. What our churches have done is that we have reduced down this thing called mission and we've put an S on it and we've made it a department that only 10% of the church can ever be a part of. And we said, we do missions in our church We send $100 a month to East Africa. We're doing missions. And we satisfy our conscience by saying we have a department in the church that does missions. Friends, drop the S off it. Missions was never intended to be a department in the church. Missions is intended to be the very core of your being and the very core and center of your life. You are a person on mission. You are Mission 316. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You are God's mission and centerpiece. And he, when you capture this, it doesn't matter where you are. Friends, did you notice? Look around this morning. Look around. If you look around in our church, you'll find that no longer do we need to go to the nations because the nations have come to New Zealand. And we have them in our neighborhood. We have them in our street. Wherever we are, we are on a mission for God to reach the world. In fact, one of the most effective ways of doing mission is to get a guy who's come from Africa, who lives down your street, get him saved, and all of a sudden you'll find that there is a mission force to Africa that's happening in your own community as he begins to gather all the Africans that are in the neighborhood. So, from mission to mission. Number four. Come on, come on, come on. Now this one you might have to just have a little bit of an ouch. Uh, with it today. Number four, a shift from consumer-orientated Christianity to being a servant of Jesus. Friends, this one has really, really saddened me. And it's because of the system, the system that we have adopted for doing church. Basically, a new family comes into the neighborhood and they go shopping for a church. And it's just like, is it going to be pack and save or new world? Uh, today, what, are the, what can you offer me? What's the best deal you can give me as a Christian? If I come to your church, what can you do for me? What can you do for my kids? What can you do in the realm of youth? What is it that you are offering me today? And church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed. They come to have their needs met through quality programs and to have the professionals teach their children about God. Is there a little shaking going on in the pews this morning? 
you see, if we can put the next slide up, I go to church is very different to I am the church. Consumerism is rife in Christianity. Sadly, it is alive and well. And it's all about me. And it's all about what the church can do. Who is the church? We're the church. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's you. It's me. We are the church. So it should be when we have an issue in our church that needs to be addressing us, what are we going to do about this problem? Instead, we kind of say, well, what's the church? What's the rock doing about this problem? What they're really saying is, what is Greg and Danny and the leaders of the church going to do about this problem? Instead of understanding that you and I are the church, we, we, we have become the church when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. And so, <clears throat> you know, a missional model of being a servant of God, it's a lot different to having a consumer outlook on church. When you have adopted the mission of Christ into your life, then you realize that when Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many, that Jesus was the model servant. And he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, he said, learn to be the servant of everybody. You know, what, what would you say would be the servant test? Am I a servant of God? How do you respond when somebody tells you what to do? It's okay if Pastor Greg tells me what to do, but her, I'm not going to listen to her. Who does she think she is telling me what to do? I don't think you'd see Jesus responding in a manner like that. Jesus, uh, Jesus said that the model the world adopts is one of hierarchy top down. I'm the chief, you're all my Indians. Sorry, sorry about that uh, expression ethnically. But that's an expression, a metaphor that we have in English. And what it means is that I'm the boss and you will do my bidding and you will do what I say. And Jesus said, no, turn that upside down. He said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, then you live to serve everybody from the bottom up. And that changes the atmosphere and the spirit of the church. And one thing it does, it kills consumerism in the church. So we want to move on from that. Amen. And lastly this morning, Lastly this morning, whoo, this is one that's hanging around the church like a bad smell. From being human doings to being human beings. Are you a human doing or are you a human being this morning? What do I mean by that? If you haven't truly understood the concept of the grace of God in your life, then you will be driven by the, the works of the law in your life. My Bible says that when, that through grace, the law has died through Christ. I'm free from the works of the law. In other words, I don't get my sense of self-esteem and acceptance before God by what I can do for Him. Amen? I don't get my sense of whether God's going to be kind to me or good to me on a day because I have performed for God through my works and what I have done for Him. Because so much of the church has been about doing, doing, doing that we've forgotten how to be. If it's all about doing, 
then where on earth are we going to learn to be human beings? You know, Adam was first a being when he was made out of the, the dust of the ground and God breathed the breath of life into him and he became a human being, not a human doing. Amen? And so if you find yourself continually striving to do, to do, to please, because this is enculturated in so many ethnic groups across the face of the earth that we, we get raised in a certain culture and it becomes so ingrained in us that we forget that it's not about doing. Listen to some of these common phrases you've heard as you've grown up. You can finish off these phrases for me. If it sounds too good to be true, we make the money the old-fashioned way. We We earn it. We work. Very good. There's no such thing as a free. There is no gain without. God helps those who. Do you realize how much of that is built into your growing up years as a person? So therefore to operate under a basis where there's nothing you can do to gain more brownie points with God is a difficult concept for us to grab a hold of as Christians. And so we often revert back to a workspace Christianity where it's all about me earning God's favour, earning God's approval. He'll love me if I pray more. He'll love me if I read the word more. He'll love me if I witness to five people each day. He'll love me more. I'll go to the top of the class. Friends, it's never about that. You are saved by grace through faith. That is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man or woman should boast. Amen? This morning. So as we come to the end of this time of uh, seismic shifts, I want to finish off this morning. Maybe if I could just have the band just to come. And I asked the Lord, how can I kind of finish this? Because I don't want to leave you hanging this morning. I don't want to leave you hanging in terms of if God has spoken to you this morning that maybe you're caught in the middle of a shift. Maybe you're still on one side and there's this tension happening as you feel these seismic spiritual plates rubbing up against each other in your life. And this morning God wants to shift you from one part of the divide across to the other part of the divide. He wants to bring a new wineskin around your life. He wants to shift something in you and through you. And I want to open the altar this morning to a time of ministry where we would love to pray with you, whatever your need is, but if there's something specific this morning that you feel... uh, you feel challenged to surrender. You know, I really, I really felt this morning if there was anything that the anointing was strongly resting upon for the rock, is this whole thing of invitation and challenge. Invitation and challenge. You know, the whole church growth system has been built on one of invitation. Can I, can you just listen to me just for a moment, guys? Just hold my attention just for a moment. Because I want to finish up on this. When a church's system of growing is built solely on invitation to come to an event, to come to a service, to come on a Sunday or come to a special event, and it's all about invitation, guess what? There's about 10% or 20% of the people that are serving and working often very hard and long hours to make sure the invitation process works well while 80% of the church is actually not doing anything. And if there's no challenge to grow, 
and to become a disciple and to be more like Jesus, then we've got 20% of the church doing 80% of the work and people are getting burnt out, they're getting tired because we haven't yet been willing to adopt the discipleship process of being prepared to embrace the challenge so that we can all do the work and all grow up together as followers of Jesus this morning. Could we stand to our feet, please? I'll always finish a service with a call this morning. You may have come here this morning and perhaps with a family member, somebody brought you to the service today. You're not serving Jesus right now for one or two reasons. Either you used to serve him and you're backslidden and you've fallen away from your relationship with God. Or you're here this morning and you've never ever entered into a personal reality of having Jesus come and live in you. You know, all the world religions are spelt with one small word. D-O, do. You've got to do, do, do in order to be accepted. Christianity is spelt D-O-N-E, done. Jesus has done it all for us. He died on the cross to save you from your sin and he died on the cross. He did it all so that when you believe in him, you can experience a relationship and come into eternal life. And this morning, I want to ask the question, with just a moment, could you just bow your heads with me today? Maybe if you want to just close your eyes for a moment. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for any hands to be raised in this building. And you're here today and you know you haven't been walking with Jesus. And today you want to come back to God or you want to give your life to Christ for the first time. If that's you this morning with no one looking around, I want to identify you so I can pray with you and lead you in a special prayer. If that's you, could I see your hand this morning? I'm looking around right now. Is there anyone here this morning saying, yes, I want to do that today. I want to get connected with God. I want, thank you, down the front. Is there somebody else here this morning? Is there anyone else here today? Okay, I'm not going to delay this because I really feel that there's somebody else over here. God bless you down the back. God bless you down the back over there. Thank you. Is there anyone else here this morning? Just give you a moment, a, a moment longer today just to contemplate. Friends, Jesus is the most amazing person you could ever meet. He is incredible. He's filled with love. He will change your life in a way that you could never hope or dream of. There will be challenges, of course, but living life with him is just so different to being empty and void and without anything that's of substance in your life this morning. One more call, just while I look around. Is there anyone else this morning? Anyone else? Okay, we're going to pray a prayer together. Those of you that have raised your hands, if you could come and see me straight after the meeting, I'd love to pray with you. Could we all pray this prayer together this morning? Dear Lord Jesus, I know you love me and you gave your life for me. This morning, Lord, I confess my sins. I receive and ask for your forgiveness today. Cleanse me, Lord. Make me clean and shiny on the inside. I now receive you into my life. Help me every day to get to know you. In Jesus' name.